Exciting news at This Week Health. Starting May 16th, our keynote show is moving to Thursdays. Catch every episode weekly on our This Week Health conference channel. Don't miss conversations with top health system leaders designed to transform healthcare one connection at a time. Subscribe to This Week Health conference and stay updated every Thursday. Today on This Week Health. I've got tons of people manually taking data out of the electronic health record to put it into someone else's portal just painful and a robot can do that. We could use those resources for much more interesting clinical things. I want to start to get into some of the quality reporting that we have to do. Some of that can be automated and freeing up our clinical quality people for doing more interesting work. Thanks for joining us on This Week Health Keynote. Today we have a very special episode interviews with leaders from the floor of the CHIME 2022 Fall Forum. I'm going to be talking with Andrea Doherty, Pete Marks, Sarah Richardson, Mark Weissman. Andrea Doherty is the CIO at Dell Medical School, University of Texas, Austin. Pete Marks is CIO at WakeMed. Sarah Richardson is Chief Digital and Information Officer at Tivity Health. And Mark Weissman is CIO and CMIO at Title Health. Wow, both titles. Wild. Hope you enjoy. My name is Bill Russell. I'm a former CIO for a 16 hospital system and creator of This Week Health, a set of channels dedicated to keeping health IT staff current and engaged. Special thanks to our keynote show sponsors, Sirius Healthcare, a CDW company, VMware, Transparent, Press Ganey, Semperis, and Veritas for choosing to invest in our mission of developing the next generation of health leaders. Now, on to the show. All right, here we are at the Chime Fall Forum, another interview in action, and we're here with Andrea Doherty, CIO of the future. CIO of the future. I mean, that's a lot on my shoulder. That is a lot on your shoulders. Yeah. But I look over my shoulder here, and there's uh, Teresa Meadows, John Glasser, and you. You're going to be on a panel discussion. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, I mean, John is kind of like father healthcare CIO. Oh, right. To, I mean, he was instrumental in the start of my career, making sure I made it as a CIO. Yeah. So he's, and, Everybody has a John Glasser story. Yes, right. It's unbelievable. So I've, I've learned that and I've heard a lot. And then there's Teresa, who just won CIO of the Year, right? She's oh, phenomenal. Okay. So I actually feel I'm nervous. I wasn't nervous going into it, but yeah, I'm definitely nervous being up there with such esteemed, really influencers and kind of industry leaders. Well, the good news is, and don't tell them I said this, but the good news is they both talk. <laughs> they both like stuff, which is why I love having them on the podcast because they have great stories they and they, they yeah. really say so. So if you want to just sit there and like pepper them with questions, as the CIO okay. of the future, that's really the, the role. Yeah, right. Is to tap into them and say. And learn as much as I can. Yeah, what, can I, yeah, what have I learned? That kind of stuff. What yeah. do you plan to talk about on the, on the panel? Well, you have to come to the panel to find out. I will have to come to the panel. <laughs> no, I mean, I think a lot of it, right? The role of the CIO is changing. It's already changed so much and it's going to continue to change. And so tomorrow during my panel, I'm going to talk a little bit about what I see, what I envision the role looking like in the next 5, 10, 15 years. I think technology that I think more and more folks will start adopting. And then I'll sprinkle some nuggets in as well. So you are the CIO of the future. I was talking with John Glasser. We were talking about the changes we've seen. I've got a lot of gray hair. And we both experienced the PC industry. Like we go into a department and there was only two PCs for 14 people kind right, of thing. Right, right. There was a time where these computers weren't connected to the internet. Yeah. And I remember it, we were both sharing how we talked to people about the internet, they'd be like, I don't need that. What do I need to be connected to the internet? 
And could you imagine if we turned off the internet for a day now? Oh, everybody would lose their mind. Well, we have it, right? Anytime there's an outage, AWS outages, right? We've had some of those. I remember, gosh, March of 2020. So right as the pandemic's happening, US went down, websites went down, some call centers went down, people are freaking out. So I mean, you just can't function. The world can't function without it. Mobile phone. What technology, CIO of the future, what technology, I gave you those three things, has the most potential to impact healthcare as you're looking at it? I would say artificial intelligence. I really think there's a lot to be uncovered there still. And in today's keynote, right, we heard Russ talking to, <laughs> to the robot, which that was an interesting session, by the way. A few, um, few technical glitches. Yeah, a few technical. Which is, uh, I was saying to somebody, couldn't have a more sympathetic audience. Right. But it's sort of apropos of where we're at with it right now. Right, absolutely. But seeing how we can really use that to augment and automate the person, right? Especially what we're seeing with labor shortages, right? And those are only going to get worse. And so really tapping into that artificial intelligence to really automate a lot of those processes. We're looking at, at my own institution, right? We're looking at how we can really AI more, machine learning more, a lot of it's back office functions, but we're really starting to bring that forward and how we can improve that patient journey as well. So I, I really think that artificial intelligence is going to play a bigger part. Split up your, split up your month. I was going to say day, but days too. To split up your month for us in terms of percentages. How much time do you spend on the keeping the trains on the track? Yep the incremental change that you need to do, and then the real future-looking stuff that you're looking to do? Yeah, that's a great question. Right now, I mean, I'd say we're probably 50% operational, lights on, right, keeping things going. I'd say another 30% incremental, and then another 20% future. And I suspect that that's going to shift, and I'll be working a little bit more strategically and forward-looking, because we have a so she's coming in, she'll be seated on December 1st, and so a lot, she's coming to us from Mayo, which, Mayo is a very digital institution, so she has a lot of really great ideas, and so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that because that's what gets me excited, right? That's the fun part of the job, is the strategic and the innovative stuff, so. What areas right now are you focused in on at Interim CIO yeah. at yeah. Dell Medical yeah. School and the University of Texas? Yeah. So cybersecurity is top of the mind. I think it's top of the mind for everybody, obviously, so we're focused on that and doing a lot, leveraging SOAR and a lot of automation in that space. We are also, done a lot of work from a standardization perspective, so it's none of the fun stuff. Governance, also not, not the sexy stuff, but it's fundamental, right? You, right. Kinda, you have to do this stuff if you want to innovate. If, if you don't do it right, you can't do the fun exactly, stuff. Exactly, right? So it's, it's doing all that stuff, and then, like I said, we have some really um, exciting plans in the future as we continue to grow as an organization, and um, you know, volumes continue to increase. I think we'll be doing some more innovative things, and I'm really looking forward to it. That's cool. So, uh... Talk about the user experience. You yes. guys are primarily ambulatory Correct. in nature. I would think, having come from an IDN, so you have to marry the ambulatory and the acute. Right. But your ambulatory and acute are actually separate. Separate. How do you orchestrate the experience across essentially multiple systems? Yeah, I'll be honest, we have a lot of opportunity there. <laughs> well, there's a lot of opportunity it's, there. It's hard enough yes. when you're within your four walls yes. and you, Yes. One of the things, I mean, just experience, patient, provider, interesting. I, I probably get at least, I don't know, 10, 15 calls, texts a week from a provider, right, that's employed by us, but practicing at one of our partner institutions. 
who needs access to something or is trying to get on their network and access something there, right? And it's trying to figure out how. And, and to be honest, I mean, I don't know that we're ever going to truly solve that, at least not in the next, I'll say the next 18 months to three years. But, you know, for our patients, I think it, the experience is a little bit more seamless to them because their, their ambulatory is connected to our ambulatory EHR, so we're able to send data back and forth. But the acute care setting, I mean, it's, it's tough. And I'm actually a patient of both, right? So, right? so navigating it as a patient and then also being an operator, there's a lot of opportunity there. Talk to me about staffing. Yeah. So staffing has been one of those things, and not a topic I've covered much with people yeah. at this conference. Um, do you think it's going to ease up now? Because we're hearing things like Meta is letting people go. Yeah. Twitter, yeah. can't, get, can't get around hearing Microsoft. about that. Microsoft and others. Yeah. So big tech is putting people out in the field mm -hmm. that we've wanted to get for for years. Yeah. Um, do you think it's going to free up a little bit? I mean, I think we're still going to run into, we're, we're still going to have shortages, right? I mean, a lot of those folks, I think they will kind of transition over in healthcare and it'll, I think it'll alleviate some of the burden, but I still think we're going to have challenges. And I say that because Healthcare, when we talk about kind of the state of the economy, it's, it's really a recession-proof industry for the most part. But I don't know that a lot of those people are really going to jump over, and I don't know that they're going to be willing to learn kind of the healthcare side of things. I'm more worried about the fact that even though they will be out of work, the salary structures are going to be very different. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're cutting, in, in some instances, like 60 70%. Yeah. Right? I could see them more going to, towards the healthcare innovation companies. Startups, absolutely. Startups. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah. We'll, we'll have to see. I mean, I think there'll be an opportunity maybe for some of our developers, right? So DevOps space is definitely taking off and more organizations really want to do more around DevOps and DevSecOps. And so I see an opportunity for that space. Maybe cool off a little bit, but we talk about architects and the really solution, healthcare solution-oriented folks, I think we're still going to experience the, the same shortages. The learning curve is pretty significant. Yeah. Did, did you come up in healthcare? I came up, actually, yeah, I did. So I actually started, my first healthcare job was a pharmacy technician. I yeah. did not know that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was a pharmacy technician throughout college, and then I did my first implementation, it was an epic implementation at the University of Kansas Medical Center. Uh, and so that was like my first taste of EHR, and that was 2008. Oh, and you just fell in love. And I loved it. I loved it. I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, I can marry healthcare, which is what I always knew I wanted to be in, and there's this technology component, and it's really starting to take off. And I graduated from University of Missouri, Kansas City, which is in Kansas City, where Cerner is headquartered, and they right. recruit very heavily. And so, yeah, that was my first um, professional job out of college with Cerner. And so, yeah. Yeah, and you're... I sat in a room where you presented to a bunch of CIOs on project management yes. approach and, and methodology. Yeah. And, and you held, held court. It was very impressive. Yeah. I mean, it was, <laughs> and that was an intimidating group. It was. To stand up and do that with. We're going to close on this. Kansas City, so you're a Chiefs fan. Do you think they're going to be able to win it this year? Not just as a fan, but oh. as a cr critical fan. They're just squeaking them out this yeah. year. Yeah. There's, there's been, the last few games have been really close, a little too close for comfort. 
So playoffs, definitely. I think we'll get there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, playoffs, no brainer. To come home with another Super Bowl title, I don't know, TBD. <laughs> TBD. And the only reason I bring it up is I didn't know how much of a fan you were. Yes. Until the other day, we're uh, we're walking up to my room and you're there, and it's like, I'm like, oh, where are you going? It's like, oh, I got to go down to the TV. <laughs> Chiefs are playing. And I imagine if anyone came up to you at that point, it would have been like, you're dead to me. I'm watching this. Yeah, there were a few folks that tried to have a conversation. Listen, not right now. Okay? <laughs> no, not right not now. Not right now. So and, yeah. And, and, unless you're going to cheer for this game, yeah. I, don't, I don't really care. <laughs> Andrea, thank you. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Great to see you. All right, here we are from the Chimefall Forum, another interview in action. Pete Marks, CIO for WakeMed. Yes, sir. Have we met in person? Is this the first time we've met in person? I can never tell anymore because you meet so <laughs> I know. We, I'm gonna we've say, definitely done the uh, Zoom thing. I'm going to say yes, which is weird. <laughs> I, th I think it is the first time we met I, in person. I met somebody the other day, and I was like, we've absolutely met in person. They said, no, we have never. And I said, well, I've seen you every week. And so, yeah. yeah. Well, th yeah. I mean, that's the great thing about this conference. Yeah. I, mean, I think it's an additive property. If you meet somebody 50 times on a video teleconference call, you met them in person. Okay. That's, that's going to be my new metric. Well, it's interesting. I was talking to a group of people. We're just going to riff at this point. I mean, I met with a bunch of recently graduated college kids, and we were talking about digital transformation. And I was talking about the metaverse. Yes. And I was saying, all right, Oculus, whatever. And if you meet through there, have you actually met the person? Yes. And they all said, no, you haven't met the person. I said, okay. And all of them. I mean, it was just a class of like 30 people. Yeah. I said, great. If you met them in Zoom, have you met them? Oh, yeah, 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 of course. I'm like, yeah. Why is that different? Yeah. Like, well, they couldn't come up with an answer. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, all right. But I'll tell you what's different is, I'm standing here, I'm listening to you talk to somebody, mm -hmm. and you have a background here in San Antonio. I do. I grew up, uh, well, not grew up, we lived about a mile from here for 12 years. For 12 years? Yes. And you've been to the Valero Open. That's where at the place where they host that. I have. That's I don't know anything about golf, but I've been to the Valero Open. <laughs> it's just a beautiful course to walk oh, it is. And, it is and hang out. And, and they have a lot of, disabled veterans and soldier and sailor and airmen events here and so we would come and volunteer for those and pick up golf balls shag balls well, whatever I, they wanted i mean we're standing here the beautiful thing about this location is the, there's the canyons right there yep. and it's beautiful mountains and yep it's really nice it would have been nice to have property here about 20 years ago all right we'll get back to the interview <laughs> tell us about wakeman we're doing great i mean i think we are doing the same thing every healthcare organization is doing we are trying to help our nurses find joy we want them to stay. We need them for our patient care. So anything we can do to be helpful in that area, mostly it's the nurses doing most of the heavy lifting and we're trying to find opportunities for them to find more joy through using IT. It's interesting, we've had this conversation, well, there's been three things people have brought up over and over again. Financial, clinician burnout, and finding joy. I like that better terminology than burnout. Yeah. It's great terminology. And then the third is cybersecurity. We're not gonna go into the cybersecurity one, but I yep. do wanna talk about Finding joy. What are some of the things we have identified? What are some of the things that WakeMed has identified that is taking joy away yeah. from practicing medicine? Yeah, I, I think the documentation process, when you have plenty of people to do it, right, they'll do it. But when you don't, you need to really look at those workflows and say, is this working for them to have a better work experience, to provide better care, right? To let them practice at the top of their license, right? When your labor costs aren't something that you're really intrinsically focused on, then you're not focused on them. And so those workflows may be very inefficient. And so 
looking for opportunities to make them more efficient and help people find more joy in use of the system is important. It's interesting we're at, at a conference and whenever somebody asks me, it's like, I, I don't understand what the clinicians are going through. I'm like, all right, you're at this conference. Every meeting you have, everybody you talk yeah. to, I want, I want you to stop when you're done yeah. and write a, a short note for, for about 10 to 15 minutes yeah. about exactly what you talked about, exactly what next, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, if another conversation starts before you get to write that note, yeah. doesn't mean you don't get to write that note. Yeah. It just means at seven o'clock tonight, when you go back to your room, I expect you to write a note for everybody you talked to today. Yeah. They just look at me like, that's insane. Who would do that? I'm like, yeah. doctors, nurses, yeah. this is what they do every day. Every day, so every day. It's kind of amazing. Are, are we looking at things beyond ambient clinical listening and those kind of things? Or is that a part of the solution that we're looking at? Yeah, that, that's not our first. Our first is like, do the templates make sense, right? Are they efficient? Okay. Can we use maybe a little bit of virtual nursing, right? And we want to be thoughtful that it's a partnership. So we don't want to come in there and say, well, here's some cool technological solutions because that could make it actually worse on them. And so it really is about the partnership with those stakeholders and saying, here are some things that may help, which are the ones that would help? What order should we put them in? I mean, they're busy and so, Sometimes bringing in technology too quickly can make it worse. And so those are the things that we're really focused on. Templating, a little bit of ambient, but it's more of a thought than it is a direct action for us at this point. It really is looking at redesigning the practice and the workflow and the data collection requirements. Charting. Charting. Exactly. And then maybe a little bit of virtual nursing. Because we do a little bit of that now in my organization. So we have an EICU where very experienced nurses, nurses sit behind the camera and they are observing those patients in real time and documenting their care as well. And they have so much experience that the nurses that are on the unit may call, will call them through the camera or they'll get called from that nurse and then it's a kind of a collegial care environment that we do to make sure that we use some virtual ability to take care of these patients. And that works at Wake Med. We've had a lot of nurses come and go right. in, in a lot of health systems. Have, what are you doing in terms of making those nurses more effective quicker within the health I assume that's a, a challenge that's been put in front. It is, and sometimes it's the small things. So onboarding, getting everybody, coming in once and having access into every system that you need yeah. is bigger than most people think. I think we might jump into your clinical workflow, and is that right? But just getting them, when they come to the yeah. first day of work. Yeah, this is your first day, and you have access to everything the systems works. you need. Yeah. <laughs> right, they, they, they have access to everything they need, the templates are right, they don't have to worry about those things, they don't have to call their manager and say, and we're not doing that as well as we should at this point. But when you have the challenges that most healthcare systems do now, you say, oh, this has now gone from something that Maybe it wasn't a huge priority from us. We knew it was going on, and now it's a huge priority for us to get that right. So the conference, have you been to focus groups? Yes, my favorite uh, thing to do. How, how's it been? The conference is great. I mean, congratulations to Chime. I started in Chime, I think it was 95. My first job was 94. Wow. I can't say that my, <laughs> it was different back then. It was kind of this really kind of academic-y, kind of interesting organization. Now it's a, a big organization. A lot of great vendor partners. The thing I love about it are really twofold. It's all about the relationships and the partnerships. One is the CIO community is incredibly collegial to each other. Right. So I'll go to anybody and say, I have this problem. And they'll go, I do too. This is what we're doing about it. 
then I have to play that forward for my other colleagues and friends. And everybody's just super friendly. So there's no competition, I love that. The other thing is I love the focus groups because instead of being in a sales meeting, the vendor community comes out and says, these are things that we're thinking about. And we get to talk to them about what we're thinking about and hopefully we'll get better products and partnerships right. out of those. That's the other favorite thing I have, the focus groups. So what focus groups have you been to so far? I did AGFA today, which is a vendor partner of ours at WakeMed. And what they were talking about was a little bit different than what we're doing at WakeMed, but great to hear about what they're thinking about strategically. Fantastic. Track sessions? Yeah, uh, good, yeah, uh, all, always good because it's usually colleagues standing up there. Yeah. And got to see the challenges of the CIO yesterday. It was. You know it all, but when you sit there in a group and go through it, the public policy one was awesome. Who's the challenges of the CIO? It was uh, Aaron Meary. Oh, Aaron Meary. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Aaron Meary, yeah. Yeah, it would be interesting. Well, we could have put anybody up there at this point. There were more. Yeah, there was, it was a good panel. Well, that's fantastic. The uh, WakeMed, you guys serve predominantly... Are you urban and rural? Yes. We've talked about this. So yeah. you're like Raleigh-Durham? Yeah, Raleigh, Raleigh. Uh, more than Durham. Started as a hospital that people of color couldn't get care, and so Wakeman started under that. And so it is a urban hospital with now a rural, I wouldn't say rural, but on the outskirts of Wake County. I feel like when I leave Raleigh, yes. I've entered rural. I guess it depends where... <laughs> and now I was in Southern California, so you don't get to rural until you're like an hour and a half through no, I think, County, it's a, so. I think it's a good point. Yeah, but it's beautiful. So, well, I mean, one of the great things about Raleigh is you can be at the beach in a couple hours and you can be in the mountains in a couple of hours. And it's, the climate is really nice. I mean, I love Texas. My wife loves Texas. She loves the heat in Texas, but I find Raleigh to be really nice. How do you address access to care in your community? So we do a number of things. One of the things I think we started about eight months ago in patient engagement is bringing patients in and asking them what they think. And so, not my idea, the idea of our patient engagement team. And so we have a group that actually meets not only internally with our wake meters, but they bring in some patients and say, you were an inpatient, how did this work for you? Where, where did you see oh, gaps? Wow. That's exceptional. You were an outpatient, right? How did this work for you? Where do you see gaps? And so, that feedback mechanism, because it's easy when you're an insider to say, oh, I'm sure that works. But until you bring somebody in and they feel comfortable saying, I like this, this didn't work as well, could you do something like this? And that feedback has changed the way that we look at business. Yeah, we were talking to somebody about, they put a button in their EHR, it's just a button to, to let the IT organization know that they had a problem and whatever. Yeah. And all of a sudden the number of tickets went through the roof because yeah. they made it easy for them to communicate, hey, I've got a problem. Yeah. It's that feedback loop, it's the transparency that you're looking for. You're, you're, yeah team at WakeMed has created that transparency into how the experience is impacting the community. Yeah, they're fun to work with. That's the group fantastic. at WakeMed is fun to work with. I want to thank you for your time. I want to thank you for stopping by. It's always good seeing you, my friend. Great seeing you. Yeah, never seen you before. How about that? <laughs> well, now we have at least a 3D picture of you. Yeah, time. amen. Fantastic. All right, here we are from the Chime Fall Forum, and we are here with Sarah Richardson and no Fall Forum would be complete without us getting a chance to talk. And thank you for doing this. Appreciate it. Of course. It. I love talking to you. Amazing conference, though, isn't it? I mean, the, I, what yes. I've heard so far is the focus groups have been good. The track sessions have been good. Yep. And I, got, I don't get to sit in enough of the stuff, but I got to sit in on that 
talk this morning, which I thought was fantastic. I mean, John Glasser, Andrea, and Teresa, I thought that was fantastic. What's been your experience so far? I love what you said about, so Chime very thoughtfully has made sure that they are constantly reformatting programming. So you notice focus groups are an hour this year versus an hour and a half in the past, and you can choose up to I think five it is at this interval. And it's really more about dialogue and question-based focus conversations in these meetings. I've had a couple already where it was really just the idea of sharing what individuals are doing in health systems. And we've all been doing the same things over and over in different scenarios. What's important about the adaptation of that now is the fact that and you heard it this morning from the past, present, future panel, which I loved, is that whether it's disruption, whether it's innovation, et cetera, it's taking all of the things you have in your ecosystem and finding ways to make them work better together. It's not necessarily best of breed. It's not necessarily different platforms. It's probably a combination of all of that. And within those, you have utilization you haven't even figured out yet. It's bringing vendors together. We talked about this in our podcast recently. Bring three or four of your vendors together to help you solve a problem that still exists, that doesn't need one more application to fix it. And then everybody's innovating together in a way that's really organic and not forced. The thing I appreciate about you, so we've interviewed two people from your staff. Yes. And you do a lot of work with Chime and whatnot. You really are committed to the next generation. Yes. And giving back to them, which is part of our mission as well. Give us some ideas of how are you giving back to the next generation, making sure that when we're gone, which hopefully will be soon, I mean, we'll be retired soon. Retired so from get, this to the next endeavor. To the next thing. Yes. We're going to hand this off to a very competent group of people. How are you doing that? One of the things I love best about having a broad network and going out and actively meeting people all the time and being curious about them. So my coaching background allows me to ask open-ended questions and then listen to what people are telling me. And you amass enough of that, your own brain's a pretty good database when you let it be, right. that you'll know what people want to do next in their career or what they have a passion for. Now, what you're doing right now may not be what you're passionate about. You may just be good at it. Or you may be in a system or a vendor partner that you'd love to apply that somewhere different. And so often we get stuck because people think we're good at the things that they see in front of them. Two of the people that are on my team now that are here that you have spoken with, I've known them for over a decade. And when we all worked together once upon a time in another state, we all said someday we want to do something cool together. And we didn't even know what that was going to be until I got to Tivity. Right. And then another thing had to happen. Tivity had to be a place I wanted to bring people. Right. Because we've all worked for organizations, you're like, I'm not going to bring my network here because we can't do the things you want to be able to do. It's being passionately curious about other people, understanding what they want to do next. And then you fill those gaps thoughtfully. And what's really important, Bill, I believe in the evolution of the journey of people's careers and lives, is when I reached out to both of them, I said, you get first right of refusal. If you say no, that's okay. Our relationship doesn't change. It just means not right now. Right. It's interesting, the, one of the things I always coach my managers on is, is this question of, I want you to be able to answer this question. I shouldn't have to talk to your staff to find this out. What do they want? What do they want to do with their career? What do they want to do next? What's the thing that really gets them going and gets them passionate? And you actually mentioned that right there where you're saying, hey, I have this group of people, I, I know them, I know what they want to do and what they're, and I love, so we talked to G, on the G, David Giambruno. David Giambruno. Um, my gosh, it just, he exudes 
passion yes. because he's doing like what he was put on this earth to do. He is. It's it's so it's so important to find the right the right people and put them in the right roles. But you're finding the right team. Too. Yes. You started recruiting ten years ago for this. Yeah. Fifteen years ago. Yes. For this. I think that's an interesting concept. That taking that longer view gives you the ability to build out this team today because you were developing relationships and doing all those things back then. Well, I also want to do like four or five things next. I'm not going to go be the person that you call the next the next health system that wants this or that done. Like, in all honesty, I did 20 plus years in hospitals and primary care and academic and for-profit and non-for-profit. I've done all of those things. Now, I'm sure I could do all of them better or differently than I did them that round. And now I'm in a location that's sort of in between the payer and the health system space, which I love because you can do a lot of really unique and clever things that will really change the face of, of health and wellness. Whatever's next, it's something beyond both of those. It's probably healthcare adjacent, but it may be private, it may be vendor, it may be a hybrid. The, di the thing is, I know there's something next. It's not specifically defined. When you tell people your intent is, hey, three to five years, I'm pretty certain I won't be doing this job because A, the people behind me deserve it, and I'm ready for the next thing, whatever that will end up being. I love the fact that as you meet different people, you just know, hey, if I went, if you called me tomorrow and said, we're gonna go invent this company, we would say, who do we know? and we would just make a whole bunch of phone calls. We wouldn't even need a recruiting agency in that respect for our, our first group of humans that we would want to change the face of whatever as we choose to do next. Man, I don't want to go in that direction because I, I love what you're doing here. Talk to me a little bit about Tivity. I was going to say, what are you going to do next? But you can't <laughs> answer that question anyway. But talk to me about Tivity a little bit because when you came into Tivity, what drew you to it? I mean, what, what captivated you to it? Because you had, you had options. I did. And what gets you excited about that work today? The first thing was I had to go work for somebody I admired and trusted and would teach me things that I didn't know how to do before. Because honestly, when you get into big organizations, and I've come from several of them, you're not forgotten, but you don't necessarily get access to the person who makes the decisions, the CEO. A big draw to Tivity was a Richard Ashworth, who is my boss. He has a storied background in healthcare and wellness. He's an amazing and visionary leader. And what I always say to people, what I love about him is that he lets me have the autonomy to run my team, but he does not ignore me. So I'm involved in all of the decisions that we make as an organization because depending on your definition of digital, which has been in lots of conversations this week, we enable the things that allow us to do what matters in our industry. Technology is an enabler. That's what I love about it. And it's pretty ubiquitous in the fact that technology is there. How do you want to implement it? Because your workflows and your processes are the things that get in the way. So Tivity is dedicated first and foremost to senior wellness through Medicare Advantage. Health, wellness, nutrition, social isolation, independent living as long as possible. Like who doesn't want to live a longer, healthier, happier, independent life? You only want to live a really long time if you're healthy doing that. We create that space for seniors if you have your benefits through us, and 18 million people do. And then we have two other branches of our organization, both also dedicated to health and wellness. As you well know, I'm a big fan of health and wellness across the board. So the ability to think about how you address aging populations and serve your seniors at the same time, digital literacy is a, is a thing. Like our seniors are so much more digitally competent than people ever gave them credit for. And so we engage them there and in person, and it's just, you feel good when you know that people are with you because they want to feel good. They want to have longer life. They want to be able to take the necessary steps 
and it's not after necessarily an event or trigger event, it's before that. And that's what we're all trying to do. You want people to be well and be on that journey with you. And historically, healthcare happened to our seniors. Now they realize if they're healthier, they're still gonna be a part of that combined decision-making and journey. So we enable people to make better decisions about living a long time. You have an interesting background because you didn't necessarily come up through the tech track that a lot of CIOs did. And today we talked about the CIO of the past, John Glasser, who we talked to. Teresa was the CIO of the present. We talked to her as well. We talked to Andrea as well, yeah. CIO of, of the future. It's a very different role. You don't necessarily need to come through that tech track mm -hmm. to be a CIO today. How have you been able to thrive in the role? I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. So you bring in G. So I bring in a guy like G, which is sort of fascinating because infrastructure was actually what I used to be good at. I didn't necessarily come yeah, up through technology, the, the, the but I more, started in the, the technological space. I, I just found the longer I was in leadership as a CIO and I'm going in, I'm doing board meetings and, and I have to talk to supply <laughs> chain, I have to talk this and this. Yeah. All of a sudden I'm going back to the, to, to the architecture meetings going, what is that? Yeah. Like, I don't know what that is anymore. There are components of things that I don't know well enough to ever want to be the person on stage talking about them. And yet I'm still know enough about them to have a valid conversation until I get the expert in the room. I'm sure when you've talked to my team, and you've talked to three of them so far, they are the best at what they do. I know enough about what they do and what we do from them to bring them together, help us do amazing things as a team. I am not going to be the expert in any of those conversations. I will be the master facilitator and a moderator to a degree. I'm the one who can be the interpreter up through the business channels because I have a passion for the business and how we not only make money so we can thrive and do new capabilities in the organization, but all of it has to work together. And as the CIO and doing the digital components, every single stakeholder has a voice in how we bring forward our solutions and our new capabilities. So it's not just about the technology, it's about the business, it's about the environment, it's about the industry, it's about the trends that are happening out there, the economy, health economics is one of the things I talk to my team about. So you have to be curious at a broader level. I also make myself uncomfortable every day. I try to always be talking about things I actually don't know enough about so that I can ask the questions to be more knowledgeable about that. So I'd like to be constantly uncomfortable. I was actually going to go in that direction and say, what's the most uncomfortable meeting you've been in in like, I don't know, say the last year where you're sitting there going, this is, this is well beyond my comfort zone. Yeah, it's when I got to Tivity and realized that we are predominantly a homegrown multitude of software platforms in languages that are all over the map. And then most of that being on-prem and knowing we had to modernize data centers only long enough to move ourselves to the cloud to then retire our data centers. So our journey over the next three to five years, if, if even takes, it won't take us five years, my CFO would have a meltdown if I hear me say five years, it won't take five years. It's modernizing those things fast enough to also be at the same time planning their demise to a degree. Yeah. And in that whole space of like how you do that that quickly and changing infrastructure to keystrokes and changing everything to be cloud and we like, singular cloud with multi-tenant locations versus multi-cloud strategy, you could argue either or both all day. Getting comfortable with all of that, because in my lifetimes previously, for the last 10 plus years, I didn't run those spaces. I worked for huge companies that had those teams that did those things right. and they handed you what you had to go do from really an implementation perspective. It's getting in the nuts and bolts that I've been like, I can still do that. I still know how to drive a car. 
<laughs> and you know what? Now we're on a racetrack. We used to joke we had a Ferrari on a dirt track. We now have a Ferrari on a racetrack, and we are proving that out every single day. Yeah, I know. I love that. I remember when I went in uh, at St. Joe's and asked for a modernization project, and I said, uh, I said, how much do you need? I said, this much. And they said, oh, how much time do you need? I said, five years. And they said, five years to modernize? How about you do that in three years? I'm like, well, how much money am I getting? You have all the money. You just have to do it faster. Is that a recurring theme for you? We've got to move faster, faster. Absolutely. In fact, my call, even before I came to chat with you, was with my procurement guy. Because we know with inflation specifically, and just the way we want to think about our contracts, we've got to be renegotiating them and refactoring them in a way that's beneficial to us and still serves the purpose of our partnerships with our vendors. There's tons of hidden cost in things like your vendor procurement spaces and your contracts, and it doesn't sound very sexy because it's not, regardless of the size of your company, those get away from you faster than anything you could think of. And every time we go find a dime, as I call it, because we're small, we can go spend it on something else that's going to increase the engagement, which creates revenue streams and allows more members to have better services from us. So everything's always about the juxtapositioning of what goes from where and to where and how you create people around you that can do all of it, not just one piece of it. That's the joy of being in a smaller company. Love our conversations. Thanks for stopping by. All right, here we are at Chime Fall Form, and we are joined by Dr. Mark Weissman with Title Health. Fellow podcaster, you actually created this CMIO podcast I did. back in the day. Yep. And now you're actually doing some of the town hall shows for This Week Health. Yeah, the town hall shows have been great. It just gets us in front of some really interesting people, gets some really interesting conversations. So that's been a fun. Plus, I get to collaborate with some of my fellow CIOs and CMIOs about what shows we're going to do, and that's been fun too. Who have you talked to recently? Brett Oliver would be one. Linda Yang has been another one who recently spoke to that's been fun yeah absolutely I love doing the podcast because for me it has been a way to really stay in touch with what's going on in the industry and hearing from other people and having conversations and I used to listen yours was one of the podcasts I did listen to because you talked to a lot of physicians because back then you were in the CMIO role mm -hmm. and right. you would unearth a lot of stuff that was going on in the CMIO role and it was really fascinating to me but now you're in the CIO role. I wear both hats. I, do, oh, oh, you, I, I wasn't CIO. able to get rid of the CMIO hat. It just tags along too. I was playing golf with this CIO today and he said, yeah, we, through attrition, we lost our head as COO essentially, and they split up the role. And so the CIO is actually over imaging and labs now. And it's interesting to me because the CIO can step into that role because they have that business acumen. Are you seeing the role of CIO shift at all? At least in my change from CMIO to both roles, CMIO, CIO, the business piece has been the just forefront. I'm running a business now, as opposed to when I was doing informatics, I tried to find even things that had a positive ROI. Now it's I'm truly running a $35 million business, 150 employees with an expectation that I'm going to improve the bottom line of the organization, make the organization more efficient or help with length of stay or readmissions. I need to be using my energies towards the business goals. What are the kind of things you're working on right now? Efficiency has been one of the bigger things. We need to get done the same amount of work or more with a lot less people because we can't find them. And robotic process automation, I, I have stood up my own little Skunk Works, and we're seeing what we can do to automate some really 
really boring things that we do in healthcare, populate registries. I've got tons of people manually taking data out of the electronic health record to put it into someone else's portal. Just painful, and a robot can do that. So yeah. that's one that, yes, we could use those resources for much more interesting clinical things. So those are the kinds of, that's just an example of one of the areas that I, I know a lot of people are playing in that, but there's a good, I, I want to start to get into some of the quality reporting that we have to do. Some of that can be automated and freeing up our clinical quality people for doing more interesting work, not just the finance people. That's where RPA tends to be focused. What's interesting to me about RPA, Mark, is when I talk to people about RPA, I immediately go to what are the use cases that you're doing with it? And what I'm finding is there's a lot of them. It's like every health system has identified a little different thing they want to do with RPA, or the CIO has identified some things that they can do, put them out there, and then they say, yeah, let's, let's give that one a try. But a lot of it is taking the mundane away. That's the recurring theme, is we have too much of the mundane work being done by clinicians. Is that part of the goal, is to just eliminate the burnout that's happening? I believe that the nurses that we tend to employ to do a lot of this mundane work would rather do more interesting things. They do it because they know it's important to the organization. There's a regulatory requirement, typically, that's kind of underneath all this, but they would really rather help patients feel better, and re prevent readmissions and stuff. No one wants to come Are back. Are you saying they that no that. one, when they were saying, hey, I'm going to go to med school, I'm going to go to nursing school or whatever, they, they said, I, because I really want to document my day. Yeah. I want to document every interaction I have today, and I just want to, and I want to move that field from there to the registry. This, yeah. That sounds like great work. Uh, no, none of them got into it for that reason. They didn't. We do a happy experience. Mom gives birth. All right. We take a piece of paper. We write down the baby's name. Then that goes to a secretary who then is going to enter that. A nurse is going to pick that up and enter it then into the state registry. Just manual process after manual process after manual process. That's healthcare. It's not unique to us. It's everywhere. And really, once, once it's digitized, once one person types the stuff in, it should be able to move from system to system to system without any problem. Our, and, and that's registries, but that's also some claims data and filing of that stuff. I've seen- Training documents. We gotta, we've got to register people for training classes. And so HR says, okay, here comes a new nurse. We know what they're going to need. Like, we should be able to automate those next processes. Provisioning. We should be able to automate. We get it wrong all the time. New nurse comes in, we'll leave something out. Those are things just from a business standpoint. We have to run our business better, more efficient. And that really matters to the experience of that nurse the first day. What does it feel like? Can't get into Epic, sorry. What's she going to do or he going to do? We're getting better from a business standpoint. Are you being asked as a CIO to, we're bringing a lot of traveling nurses, a lot of travelers and whatnot, to help them to get up to speed quicker, and what, what things are we doing to help them to get up to speed quicker? For the variety of positions that we're bringing on, could be locums doctors, could uh, be true. respiratory yeah. therapists, what, yes, we have a lot of people that we need to not only train on the tools, so we're an Epic shop, and a lot of these people will come with some Epic experience, but they don't know the title health way of doing the documentation that we require. But, but you're pretty close to foundation, I would We say. are. Okay. We are, but even still, there's going to be that 20% variability that people will look at you funny if you're not doing it that way. So 
yes, we have to come up with that, but we gotta be efficient and we've gotta be able to scale it. We, we can't take and just keep growing principal trainers on top of each other to scale as the organization grows or as the training needs, the ebb and flow. Some, some weeks you got 50 people coming in, some weeks you have three. You gotta, you gotta come up with new ways and we're doing a lot through videotape. We're using a lot of, in collaboration with Epic, in terms of building that content and making it interactive. All these ways of improving training are now very important to the organization because they have to onboard quite a bit. When we look out, one of the things as CIO, you're saying we're running a business. So part of it is, hey, what are the challenges that we have right in front of us? But what's the, what's the project you're looking at that you're saying, hey, it might be a couple years out, but it can have a real impact on the way you deliver care at Title Health or the way you practice IT operations at Title Health. I want to be much more proactive in the way we're handling some of our IT things. We, the other day, the paging system went down. How did I find out? Well, the end user's like, we've been paging Dr. Joe and he always returns the call. It's been a half hour. We really could have used him. Well, turns out the paging server is down. We need to be able to ping that device on a regular basis, get that in. That technology exists. We have to deploy yeah. it, and it has to be for our systems that are in the cloud, the systems that are on-prem. It has to be comprehensive, complete, and something that our service desk can understand and be able to start reacting to and without a lot of false alarms. It That's really is integrating all aspects of it. I mean, when a system goes down, it shouldn't be a person. It should be an alert that goes, not to you, you yes. don't need to know as a Thank CIO. You. <laughs> it, goes to, it goes to the desk. Yeah. And the desk knows, hey, because they have a set of procedures they follow to let the people know that are most impacted by it. Hey, here's what's going on. We are taking a look at it, that kind of stuff. But all that stuff needs to be tied together. But that takes, takes time yeah. to yes. put that all together. It's got to be integrated into the ITSM tool. I don't want people making tickets. Let the system make the ticket that this is going on, route it to the right person. It gets into, I've heard you talk before about, okay, when, when the day we get attacked, wouldn't it be great if we could just hit some automation that spins things back up again as quickly as the bad guy's taking it down? Yeah. We, we adopt that clinically in terms of how we treat cancer. We just need to beat it down so we can contain it and we can keep the patient going and living their life for a long time. Cybersecurity will move into that event. So. We, we will move towards, all right, yeah, they got in, yeah, they're contained, and we're still functioning, because we can spin it up and fix it as fast as they can tear it down. Yeah. We'll get there. Yeah, that's interesting. ServiceNow? We're not on that at the moment. But oh, okay, that's, so you yeah. have a different We have different a different system. tool, but yeah. Okay, I was, I was just curious, because as I'm, as I'm looking at these, these uh, for lack of a better term, service buses across that, something needs to be able to take all that stuff in, organize it, and get that information out. And uh, I'm curious, what, what's the platform that you guys are using? At the moment, we're on a very old system that we won't be on for long, so I'll just <laughs> okay. leave the vendor so, out. But, yeah, um, we need to modernize. And, and we have listen, legacy and stuff. And if they're listening to this, I'm sorry, but you can rewrite your code today and, <laughs> and uh, be in the running for the next yeah. time around. So, no, I love, uh, I love where you're taking the IT operation and whatnot. Was it hard, clinician to CIO role? We, we've seen it a handful of times now. There are a handful of us who are picking up on this. So. There's a lot of things that I was able to bring and slide easily. I know Epic, I know Epic really well. I've learned a little bit more about some of the back end pieces, but 
the change management, the interpersonal relationship type stuff, the business side of IT, that all I brought with me. Did I need to learn a little bit about cybersecurity? Absolutely, and so yeah. I went for a, a master certificate in cybersecurity, and I still do a lot of a lot of work on learning the cloud and okay, what is this Amazon Web Services thing? And going in and playing with it and taking some classes on it just to play. Yeah, you and so, I have both spent some time with Lee Milligan and he, yeah. he talks because he went and got certified. He went to the Chime CISO boot camp, mm -hmm. and I said, "Why are you going to the CISO boot camp?" He goes, "Because you know." As a CIO, you have to know security. And he goes, this is where I'm going to start, and I, I just need that foundation. He goes, I don't need to know it as well as the guys who are automating it and writing Python code and that kind of stuff. He goes, but I need to understand it from a base level so that I can, again, getting back to the business, I can be a, a counselor and a consultant to the business and say, this is what this attack means. This is what the common spirit attack means for Title Health. It's, yeah, so you have to, Keep going back to school. And so yes, I just tack up more certificates on the wall behind me. <laughs> it's, part of it has been changing the perception and the mindset of my team, of IT, of I'm a doctor. Yes, I'm always going to have that and it's hard for, to shake that and that's, that's okay. But I really want to be seen is I know how to run a business and that I'm going to lead them in a good direction and that we'll pull the team together where it's fragmented and we'll work with the operations and put governance in place so they don't get whipped around from project to project. And some of this is IT basic 101, but it's so important to get that right. Yeah. And okay, I may not know as much about the data center as some of the technical guys, but I've got good technical guys who know that data center. I need to be able to say, look, what might the data center look like in five years? Right. And that's where being current and going to conferences like Chime and learning what others are doing, that's where it's so important to be able to lead the organization. Absolutely. Mark, always great to catch up with you, man. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate Thanks. it, man. I love those discussions. I love doing the interviews from the floor. Just fantastic discussions with these leaders, Andrea Doherty, Pete Marks, Sarah Richardson, Mark Weissman. I just want to thank each of them for spending time, as well as 20, let's see, that's four, 25 others. We did 29 interviews from the floor. If you're wondering where the other interviews are, you can check them out at This Week Health Community. When you search, you'll search for This Week Health, you'll see Community, you'll see Keynote and the conference channel, and you'll see the newsroom. The community channel is where we've been airing a lot of these interviews, and you don't want to miss any of these. These have been fantastic conversations. We want to thank our keynote show sponsors who are investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. They are Sirius Healthcare, a CDW company, VMware, Transparent, Prescani, Sempris, and Veritas. Thanks for listening. That's all for now.